Come on, Henry. <laughs> Not doing it. <laughs> <laughs>
Kelly Clarkson performing Already Gone and then breaking out into Halo in the middle of it. <laughs> Go find that on YouTube. It's oh, a fun man. time. I will definitely have to do that. And uh, no guests this week. Nope. Not even yeah. a, a Lil Wayne guest verse. Nope. Nada. This is the era of the ubiquitous Lil Wayne guest verse. Also, <laughs> I was debating in my head whether or not I wanted to say prom queen again, but I think I will pass. Uh, <laughs> We're still time. Yes. <laughs> Um, Henry, could you tell us a little bit about your relationship with Beyonce music? It's not very extensive. Um, I think Single Ladies might have been the first Beyonce single I really heard and had any exposure to. And I'll talk about uh, my relationship with that song in particular a little bit later. Um, but in general, I have a lot of respect for her as an artist from what I've listened to, even though she's not really my cup of tea. My favorite Beyonce song is Daddy Lessons, which is her definitely not doing her normal style, mm. even though it's a very good song. Very good mm. song, yes. Interesting choice. Um, all right, so um broadly what did what did we all think of the album lots of disappointed faces yeah 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 i mean is this like the saddest beyonce album ever (laughs) it's pretty the front end is pretty pretty sad i don't know it's like not i I don't even know if i would call it sad it just seems like very like bitter i don't think is the right word but like it's not a happy album it's not it just, this is, honestly, this is my least favorite album that Beyonce has been involved in, including the Destiny's Child's albums. Uh, I don't think she should have sang Ave Maria. It's a bad choice. Oh, yeah. I disagree. I think, <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. I think I was writing down the songs I liked from this. Ave Maria is definitely in the top three for me. Wow. Um, Ave Maria, Halo, um, and Video Phone were the three that I liked that were not Single Ladies, but Single Ladies is by far the coolest song on this album. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. I agree. Single Ladies is definitely... Um, it's Well, it's weird when you listen to the album. Like, I have never listened to this album because, as we discussed last week, my personality was bad in high school, so I didn't <laughs> listen to pop music. Um, and so, like, the first... Really every song up until Single Ladies, pretty much, I was just like, I hate this and i wish i did not have to listen to this album it's really boring um and then single ladies came on and i was like oh okay so the last five songs are good yeah so you yeah. liked the sasha fierce side of the album not the i am yes gotcha that's that's an accurate description yes yeah i dislike this album heavily yeah um yeah. and i was listening to myself earlier today talk about b-day mm-hmm. and i was like Boy, it's great that Beyonce stopped doing all these ballads and slow songs. <laughs> yeah. 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 And like this album just goes back on to everything I don't like about Beyonce's music. Um, yeah. And it, so it, it completely gets rid of the sort of retro soul aesthetic that I think we all responded to so much in V-Day. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's like, to me, all of her worst impulses in one album. And yeah. I couldn't help but be particularly bummed out. And I was... I was sort of curious if I was going to have like a, you know, because we were talking about Irreplaceable and how I kind of had, I sort of made my peace with it. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if I was going to have that moment with single ladies and mm-hmm. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Go back to the Pink Panther episode if you want my rant about uh, the Reagan administration and oh, the deregulation of radio ownership. But uh Yeah. That did not have a whole lot of positive thoughts about this album overall. I, I I respect it, and I think it's awesome that she's experimenting with new sounds, and I always support that. But um, yeah, just nothing for me here. Yeah, it's just yeah, it's not. 
it's not a particularly enjoyable listen. Yeah, you guys like five slow ballads in a row? No. The fact that <laughs> no. this album is two yeah. discs is very frustrating. 40 minutes, two discs. Still. I just, just weird. I don't know. Yeah. Too many songs I didn't like. Yeah, I, I did wonder <laughs> if, like, the issue is if you just, like, made it one album and then, like, switched the sequencing a little, but, like, I don't think that really would have... I still, I still just overall don't like the aesthetic of this album, so... Yeah. 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 Alright, and, uh... Yeah, I, I guess we can move on to the singles. Yes. Um, I said in a previous episode that I didn't like any of the singles from this album. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I have to slightly walk that back, because I do like Sweet Dreams. Okay. Uh, however... I sort of maintain an antipathy towards most of these singles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so I, I guess we can go in kind of album order here. Sure. Uh, if I were a boy. Mm. Not a fan. No. no. I just like, I feel like I've never really listened to this song until I listened to it, you know, like for this recording. Mm-hmm. And yeah, not for me. Really boring, honestly. And it's also just like, okay, if you were a boy, you would what be nice to girls? Like, is that what you're saying? Yeah, this song was kind of boring. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It aesthetically, it it sounded to me like it's like the background song of a disaster relief ad. <laughs> just like uh, a hurricane yeah. hit somewhere, or it's just like you know, Sarah McLaughlin's on screen oh. and she wants you mm-hmm. to donate a few bucks. Mm-hmm. She wants you to save some dogs. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we got mm-hmm. Halo. Mm-hmm. I personally found it a little over the top. Yes. I like this song. I thought it has a very nice piano part. I don't think it's anything particularly special, but I think it's perfectly pleasant and fine. It didn't annoy me or bore me like a lot of the other songs on the album did. So. That's fair. I give a plus one for Halo. Yeah, we're, we're going to get more in depth into this one in a, in a sec. Uh, mm-hmm. And to Diva, the next the single after that. Uh, but then last we got Video Phone. I bet Video Phone's fun live, but... Mm-hmm. I, know, I think it's, video it's, phone is fun. I do too. I like yeah. video phone. Yeah. 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 yeah, I remember liking the video also. Yeah, mm. yeah. It's yeah, it's cool, which is about all I personally can say about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember also getting it confused a lot with the song she did with Lady Gaga, which is telephone. Telephone. Ooh, which I was like, is wait, a bop. which one is? Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Flash bowl, telephone or video phone? Tel- telephone. Telephone. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna say video phone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Garth. Uh, I gotta go telephone. Yeah. Even though video phone a close second in the race of two songs. About phones, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Beyonce does have a lot of phone-related songs. Yes. Was Diva track nine? Um... Yes. Oh, that song sucked. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. See, yes, that's up. not good. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I suppose, uh... We should get into Diva. I mean, now. I think the real yeah. question is like, is it the worst single, <laughs> like ever? Oh, I mean, like I think it's the worst single on the album, probably ever. Yeah. Is, a, is a hard question. I, I don't think ever in the history yeah. of all singles. But <laughs> if if we want to talk about Beyonce singles, then I personally would argue that Diva is her worst song. Mm. I think it's definitely the worst song on the album. Yeah, I think it's, it's bad. Yeah, I agree. It's definitely the worst song song on the album. I can't think of a worse single that she's made. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. The sentiment yeah. of the song feels very Beyonce. I just don't like the execution or any of the lyrics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the beat. yeah there's there's something like a... The, the song, had like, lyrically has, like, a fuck you, I got money quality to it that mm-hmm. is gross. 
and and like I, I think that like the song is supposed to be empowering and it, it might be to some people but like yeah. mm-hmm. it, it sounds like an extraordinarily wealthy person flaunting her wealth and which like doesn't isn't always a bad thing right I'd no say, it's like, not i mean like you yeah, know beyonce like, is a woman of color in america it's yeah, amazing mm-hmm. that she has money but like yeah on the other hand like there's something like really kind of like fuck you ish to mm-hmm. me about it that and I think she does this better. I mean, you see her talking about, you know, similar themes in a lot of her songs, I'd say, like, post-2013. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and she does it a lot better. I mean, this, yeah, it's just, like, it's not a great version of, like, what a song about this by Beyonce could be. Yeah, and it also so, sounds like shit. Yeah, yeah it's definitely like the first step of her journey. I didn't even yeah. listen to the lyrics, so I'm just re- <laughs> reacting solely to the sound of the song, and I think it's incredibly annoying. It's yeah. really aggravating. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the only thing that ever sticks with me from the song is the chorus. Right. Nothing yeah. else. So, Which yeah. is a bad chorus. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. All right. Do we want to talk about Single Ladies? Yes, then? please. Yeah, <laughs> Henry, would you like to tell us your thoughts on Single Ladies? I have a lot of thoughts about Single Ladies. Mm-hmm. So what I want to hear first is your all of your thoughts, because I have, I'm hearing some antipathy towards Single Ladies, which I'm going to try to reverse. <laughs> I want to get that all out here, and then mm-hmm. I'm going to try and reverse all of your opinions if any of you have negative things to say about the song. I love Single Ladies. I think it's definitely the best song on the album, and I think it's definitely one of Beyonce's best songs. I also really like Single Ladies. I do think it is paired better when you're, like, I like the song better when you're watching the video, because I think the two together are mm-hmm. amazing. I don't mm-hmm. always love the song when it's not played with the video. It mm-hmm. really kind of depends on, like, what is the mood? What is mm-hmm. the location in which it's being played? Mm. Yeah, I, I think I, at this point, respect Single Ladies more than I feel anything when I listen to it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like, there are really cool things about it that Henry's going to get into in a minute that I sort of understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, um, yeah, like, this is a bullshit cop-out reason, but, like, and I, I know I keep ranting about this on this podcast, but DC Radio killed it. <laughs> And really kind of pop culture and the internet in general also played a pretty deft hand in killing it for mm-hmm. me as well. Um, but, like, I respect it and, like, I certainly understand that, like, divorced from all the bullshit that I bring into it, it's a great song. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, like, I don't think I'm capable of feeling anything when I hear it anymore. Mm-hmm. If any of that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I think it does. I'm going to try and reverse that, though. Okay. Awesome. So... Um, yeah, my goal here is to to take uh, what your feelings about it being overplayed or whatever. I think that that's something that you should appreciate it for. And I'm hoping that I can convince you of that. <laughs> um, so just a quick uh, feelers here. Did anyone the first time, if you can remember the first time you heard the song, did you feel like there was anything weird or off about it? No. Yes. No. no? Yes? Yes. Um, probably not for the reasons you mean, though. Well, what what did you think was weird? Well, what I thought was weird is, like, the previous, like, all the singles that were before this were all these, like, sort of throwbacks to kind of 70s soul and stuff like that. Mm. And, like, this is her first time really dipping her toes into kind of more, is it electro-pop, technically? I don't know. I don't know. Into whatever, Mm -hmm. like, subgenre of pop we want to file a song under. Um, Because it's usually not her sound, but, like, I remember, Mm. like, it sounded interesting. Yeah, I mean, the first time I heard it, I thought it sounded a little bit weird, but I couldn't really place why. I was just like, huh, that sounds a little bit odd. No idea. 
the first time when I realized there was something kind of weird going on with this song in a more formal way was the time when I, I had started to learn an instrument that could play chords. And I was like, oh, it'd be fun to learn a pop song like Single Ladies. And mm -hmm. I went and looked it up. I looked up the chords on the site and I started to play it. And I said, this does not sound at all like the song. So I realized, okay, so whoever wrote this up on the internet got it wrong. Whatever's going on here is a little bit weird. So uh, it wasn't until a little bit later that I came across a blog post where someone who was versed in music theory did a harmonic analysis of the song and actually figured out what was going on. And I realized like it's actually way cooler than you would have thought. And that's part of why it gets this weird feeling. So just to give a quick primer on harmonic analysis, which it's basically a thing that people who know music theory can do. They take mathematical rules, they take a song and then dissect it, and they basically assign numbers to it to describe what is happening in the song. So to give a really quick example of this, uh, what's known as the most common chord progression is one five minor six four, and you can you've heard this hundreds, if not dozens, if not hundreds of times. Uh, for example, "Kids" by Management, "Don't Stop Believing" by Journey, "Alejandro and Paparazzi" by Lady Gaga, mm -hmm. "Numb" by Linkin Park, and "If I Were a Boy" by Beyonce all Ooh. use this chord progression. Okay. It's extremely mm -hmm. common. People who know music theory, as soon as they hear this, they can point it out immediately because like many pop songs, they're generally really, really simple when you do a harmonic analysis. They're very simple uh, mathematically, but that is not the case for single ladies. Mm. So I'm gonna tell you why. Uh, a lot of this, uh, just to give some credit, is coming from this blog post called Single Ladies by Beyonce, a compositional analysis by a guy named Keith Freund. And a lot of actually what I'm going to talk about is coming from the discourse because when he wrote this blog post, a lot of people disagreed with him mm. and wrote, pretty nuanced um, reasons why they disagreed. And that was pretty fascinating. But so anyway, uh, let's talk about single ladies. The verse in single ladies, uh, first off, I would just like to say, I think it has a cool beat, mm -hmm. but that's, you know, mm -hmm. that's nothing crazy about that. Lots of songs have a cool beat. What's kind of neat is not super unique, but neat is that there's not really any harmonic content in the, in the verse, meaning there's no chords. There is her singing a melody and there mm -hmm. is a beat. Mm -hmm. um, and then on top of that, there's this really weird little synth, glissando is what it's called but it uh easier described as just like a note sliding it sounds like whoop, whoop, mm. whoop, and it does this over and over and over and that's the closest thing you get to harmonies in the verse there but for the most part it's really just percussion and melody which isn't super unusual on its own especially for music pop music kind of post 2000s another example of this is um hollaback girl by gwen <laughs> stefani which Classic. does not really have harmonies it's just kind of uh, melody and percussion mm -hmm. so that's not super weird on its own but if you were to do a harmonic analysis on this, because it doesn't really have a, a harmonic content, it would end up giving you some weird numbers. But it's also not particularly weird because, you know, if you're just doing a melody on top of a beat, you're not really doing that stuff intentionally anyway. So you can do this stuff, but it's, I don't know, that on its own isn't the crazy thing. The really, really cool thing is when you get to the chorus in Single Ladies. So the first time through the chorus, there is still no harmonic content. There's no chords. There's like maybe a little bit implied, but it's not crazy yet. The really cool thing is when the second chorus comes around in Single Ladies, when the synth line comes in, this bass synth line, mm -hmm. that if you were to describe the feeling of it, I, re I recommend listening to the song and listening closely to what it feels like when the synth bass line comes in, because to me, it sounds really sinister and like melancholy. Hmm. And the reason for that uh, is controversial. And if, if we're going to use music theory to describe what's actually happening. Uh, I was counting this, uh, and there were at least three different seemingly totally viable harmonic analysis explanations for what is happening here and why it sounds like that. And I'm going to tell you the one that I found most interesting and most compelling, which is the one advanced in the article, which is that what's happening here is that the, the chorus is actually polymodal, which is a fancy music uh, theory thing to say that she is singing in a different key than the chorus is playing in. 
So she's singing in a major key and the chorus is in a minor key, mm -hmm. which under normal circumstances would sound really dissonant and crazy. It's a type of thing that you don't hear in pop music. You only hear it in like classical music and like avant-garde jazz and obscure Lithuanian folk music. <laughs> but it apparently seems to be happening in single ladies. Um, and yeah, like I said, normally this would sound super weird and dissonant. But the reason why it works is because there was so little harmonic content in the verse leading up to it. And because she wrote the melody in a way, or whoever wrote the melody, wrote it in a way that it's really simple. You know, that simple, uh, if you like it, then you should put mm -hmm. a ring on it. It's just a few notes. They don't go into any of the parts of the scale that would be really dissonant. And mm -hmm. that makes it so that you get this really weird kind of jarring, sinister, melancholy-ish feeling that's really striking if you listen to it without it sounding dissonant. And I think that's super cool. It's yeah. very, very uncommon for pop music. And um, to kind of back this up, if you go on YouTube and you look up acoustic covers of the song, like for example, Sarah Bareilles, a singer-songwriter, did an acoustic cover of the song with yeah, the band. Yep. Mm -hmm. If you'll listen to it, you'll notice it's it doesn't sound like this. It doesn't have that tension. And that's because she actually changed the harmonies in order to make it work. Because mm -hmm. if you were to play this with a full band arrangement, it would probably sound dissonant if you tried to do what she was doing. Mm -hmm. So the only way to make it work was to play basically a different song. Mm -hmm. um, Weird. Yeah, it's really cool. And that's why, you know, it's it, you know it's a fine cover that she did, but it's not the same song, and it doesn't have the thing that makes this song so cool. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I just mm -hmm. want to say that that's part of the reason why it's so cool that this song is as popular as it is, because it's doing something that you basically, assuming this interpretation is correct, which, you know, Hypothetically, in music theory, they're you know using math, so there is one correct thing. But we're getting into a point with this song where it's too ambiguous to actually know what exactly is going on. I think the fact that there are these multiple mathematical interpretations of the song in principle is already super cool. But if the the polymodal interpretation is correct, I think it's super cool that a song that does something that risky could be as popular as it is. And I think it shows a lot of skill in the composition that they could put together a song that does that and is you know it played enough to make you really irritated by how much you're hearing it. <laughs> yeah, Nick, okay. So I listened to that Sarah Bareilles cover and like there was something missing in it for me and like I could not figure out what it was and I think you pretty much just explained it. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. it's it's one of those things where if you don't have the vocabulary to describe it, it's really hard to pinpoint what you're hearing and what you're feeling. But Go back and listen to Single Ladies, listen to the second time through the chorus, and listen for that synth line, and listen to how it contrasts with the melody that Beyonce is singing, and then go listen to any cover. The Sarah Bareilles one is good, and listen, and you will not hear it there. And that's mm -hmm. because it, yeah. the Single Ladies version that they put out on the album is doing something way cooler than, you know, any mm -hmm. acoustic cover could be doing. I mean, hypothetically, you could do a cover that did what she's doing, but it mm -hmm. would be really difficult, because it's really difficult to sing in a key that's yeah. just slightly different than the key you're actually playing in. Mm -hmm. Hmm, that's really interesting. I had no idea about any of that. Um, yeah, it's wild. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I think that, yeah. like, I noticed everything you were talking about, but like I don't have the vocabulary for it because like I'm not a musician or like a music theory person. I'm just a snob. <laughs> I, I recommend that everyone goes and listens to it again and listens specifically for this because I think it will give you a new appreciation for the song because even if you feel like you've heard it too much, it was definitely a risk for them to compose a song like this. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really cool that they did. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If the goal was to convince me that the song is awesome, like I don't think I'm there yet, but like <laughs> I think you have put me like I want to like the song now. Okay. okay. Whereas, I, whereas, like yeah. I came in here like wanting to fight it. <laughs> now, now I don't want to. Yeah. 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 And we can't really like move on from single ladies without talking about the video. So good. Yeah. Greatest video of all time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, 
I don't think so. <laughs> do we want to have this fight now or later? We, we do have it. Like we built in a time to fight about this. So <laughs> later. <laughs> I like that she has a robot hand. Yes, <laughs> the glove is amazing. Yes, it's very good. Yeah, you know, yes. I mean, like I guess, like I've never actually presented my like opinion about the video, mm-hmm. and here it is. It's smoking hot. Are you, are you ready for it? Oh, okay. I thought you were oh, using your opinion. Smoking hot. Yeah. And I was like, yes, that is true. I was like, okay. That's, yeah, that's, I think we all agree okay. on that. This is a barn burner. Okay. Oh, man. Is okay. It? If you thought internet discourse was shitty before this conversation, mm-hmm. wait until we release this episode of this podcast that like five people are going to listen to. I'll have you know we have 12 listeners. Oh, yeah. wow. Oh. Yeah. Shit. All right. We're a big hit. Moving up. No. Um, here is my opinion of the single ladies video. It's it's fine. Wow. No, interesting. Just wow. Yeah. So it's fine. Wow. I don't like the editing in it. Wow. Wow. <laughs> now a, it got hot. The, like, the, come the, on. The, the, there's a cut at the one minute mark that I just felt was. Mm-mm. Yeah, I also uh, no. don't remember anything that happens in it after the first chorus. <laughs> yeah. oh, oh, I think, yeah. Oh, shit. It's time um, that you get double canceled. Cancel. Again. Shit. Fuck. Cancel. Yep. <laughs> Sorry, Garth. X emoji. Yes. Damn. Canceled. Yep. All right. Well, no. Just do not like. No. Let's change course and talk about our favorite songs. Sure. We know Garth's isn't single ladies. Probably second. <laughs> What's first? Uh, Sweet Dreams. Ah, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. I think mine is probably Video Phone. Mm. It's a hard choice, but I think it's Video Phone. What about you, Sanchez? I think mine is Single Ladies. Mm. Yeah. It's a good choice. Mm-hmm. Henry, Henry, what do you think? It's obviously Single Ladies. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> Yeah. Good choice, good choice. Yeah. All right. It's time to talk about Obsessed. Yes! <laughs> Obsessed was released April 24th, 2009. It was directed by Steve Schill. Uh, Steve Schill, uh, this is his only feature directing project, uh, but he has done a t- ton of TV work, uh, including lots of Golden Era HBO stuff. He did two episodes of Rome. Yay! Which is, <laughs> yeah, I, I put in for Butler and I to geek out over Rome. It's so good. If you if you guys uh, want like a fun version of Game of Thrones, I recommend Rome. Rome is so fun. Like if you want to watch a really good period drama, I suggest like if you want to get into the genre, I suggest you start with Rome. Yeah, you, you guys like good. you guys like color palettes. Oh, such a good color palette. It's just, uh, there's, like, nothing wrong with the series, basically. Yeah, but uh, we also got four episodes of The Wire, spanning from seasons one to three. Awesome. Nice. Uh, we got three episodes of Deadwood, which matters to me personally, and we got one for The Sopranos. <laughs> Sanchez and I's Twitter, or not Twitter, Facebook. Our, our friendship. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we also have the series finale of Dexter, which I understand everyone loved. I, I think I've only seen two seasons of Dexter. That was sarcasm. I know everyone hated the finale of Dexter. Oh, I, I, I didn't know I, that. I, I was gone from the series, though, for like three or four seasons before that, though. Oh, so. I watched okay. like the first two seasons. Yeah. Mm. That's fine. Uh, we also have two episodes of Law and Order, 12 episodes awesome. of Law and Order CI, and 14 of SVU. Yes, 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 yes. I am on a podcast with Chelsea Butler, so I'm legally obligated to mention that. Yes, it's in the contract. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and we also have tons of episodes from shows you've likely seen. He's got a big, long IMDb page. Go look it up. Uh, our writer is David Lowry. Uh, his writing credits include Lakeview Terrace. Classic. Is it? Yes. Yeah. 
Is it, it is. Is, is it a classic in the sense that Obsessed is a classic? Yes. I've watched it about yeah. as many times as I've watched Obsessed <laughs> and for the same reasons. So I just remember that trailer coming out and you guys loved quoting the fucking trailer. Oh, yeah, it was really funny. That's great. I don't remember uh, anything from the trailer <laughs> other than Samuel L. Jackson. Well, look forward to our bonus content of Butler Reacts to Lakeview Terrace oh, trailer. Oh, God, do I have to? Oh, the trailer. All right, yes. I'll watch the trailer. Fine. Uh, we also have The Intruder. The similar film, I think. Is that the one with Megan Good? Is that the one we just yes. talked? Yes. I don't know. Looks sure fine. Uh, we have oddly enough Star Trek Five: The Final Frontier. I've never seen it, but it's one of the ones directed by Shatner. It's of Tom and Huck, an adaptation <laughs> okay. of The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, starring Jonathan Taylor Thomas and Brad Renfro. JTT, very interesting, but very different from the rest of his work. Yeah. <laughs> Little... Oh, David Lowry. Interesting guy. Um, yeah. So, Obsessed stars Idris Elba, Beyonce, Ali Larder, Jerry O'Connell, and Christine Lottie. I love some Jerry O'Connell. Why? <laughs> I just think it's really just, interesting just he's in him. this. I don't know. It just feels really <laughs> random for him to be in this movie. He just gives off like a vibe. I, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. It's like when you see Dylan McDermott, it's like, oh, we're watching a Dylan McDermott uh, executive producers include Beyonce, Beyonce's father, Matthew Knowles, and for some reason, Magic Johnson? Because why not? Why not? Yeah. I don't know. Probably, yeah. like, Beyonce was big enough at this point that, like, people hear Beyonce's gonna be in the movie, it's like, okay, I'll jump on the movie because it'll probably make money. Yeah. I heard I that Idris Elba was in it before her. He was gonna play with Zoe Saldana, and then they oh, took really? it Beyonce's people. Yeah. Okay, now I'm thinking about the Zoe Saldana version of this movie. I don't think I like it as much. This is uh, mm. admittedly some Wikipedia trivia, mm. but it, I think it linked to, like, trades, so I think it's reasonably sourced. Mm. Apparently they were really interested in the sexy chemistry between the two. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yes, alright. And uh, before we get into plot, there's a, a very important thing that should be pointed out. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, according to IMDb Trivia, the working title of this film was Oh No, She Didn't. Uh, uh. Yep. <laughs> good good stuff. Yes. Stew in that a little. No. Process it. How does it make you feel? Would Not you, would you have liked this movie more if it was called Oh No, She Didn't? Maybe a little bit. Yeah. Maybe Maybe a little little bit. Bit. I would not have. I think I would have hated it more. <laughs> hated it? Wow. Strong words. But I have strong opinions on this movie. <laughs> that I don't think you'll like, unfortunately. Alright. Alright, yeah, let's get in the plot. Intruder plot. Yeah. Would, would you like to begin plot or do you want yeah, to Yeah, I suppose plot? so. Okay. <laughs> we begin by meeting married couple Derek and Sharon. They move into the house in the LA suburbs, and they have a baby named Kyle, and life is perfect. Derek then goes to work, as they apparently moved in in the morning, in the middle of the week, as you do. Yep. Um, and Derek meets a new tempt named Lisa, or Tempt. Oh. Tempt. Oh. Uh, Derek meets a new tempt named Lisa, who he flirts with a little bit. Yeah. Or does he? Uh, later, he'll deny flirting with her, but he's very clearly flirting with her. And unsurprisingly, the male writer and director of this film wouldn't think of it's flirting. Uh, anyway. Over time, Derek and Lisa develop a bit of a rapport, and Lisa starts snooping on his life in small ways, but things escalate. The stalking and emotional manipulation get more intense and meticulous. She fake cries in front of him very obviously and makes him a mixed CD of songs she knows he'll like because she broke into his computer. She finally makes a move on him at the Christmas party where she attempts to seduce him in a bathroom stall. Very sexy. He rejects her. <laughs> 
The next day at work, she pretends like nothing happened. Then at the end of the day, she gets into his car and tries to seduce him again in a skimpy outfit. He rejects her again. He almost tells his wife, but then he wusses out. So Derek goes to HR because his um, his friend who looks like he should be an entourage, but he's not an entourage, uh, <laughs> tells him to do that. Um, but he finds out that she quit, so problem solved. Or not. Mm. Uh, he receives an email filled with naughty pictures of her. Uh, also, he goes on a retreat and she shows up, drugs his drink, and it's implied that she rapes him. Yep. The next day, Derek makes it emphatically clear that nothing's going to happen between them, so she attempts to kill herself in his bed. Sharon finds out about everything at the hospital because the detective in charge of the case, Detective Reese, thinks it's a good idea to interrogate Derek in front of his wife at the hospital. Afterwards, she throws him out of the house as she suspects that he is cheating. Reese interviews Lisa at the hospital and then interviews Derek again in his office. Uh, it's revealed that Lisa thinks Derek is going to leave his wife for her and that she's been keeping detailed journals of their fictional sexual exploits, as one does. Yep. Uh, so we're then treated to a montage in which Derek visits his son and Sharon starts to forgive him for no apparent reason. This culminates in their reconciliation over dinner. I think it was his birthday, if I remember right. It was his birthday yeah. dinner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Lisa tricks the babysitter into letting her see the baby. This is a terrible babysitter, <laughs> by the way. Um, Sharon and Derek come home to discover that the baby the baby's been kidnapped. Um, this prompts them to run around the house yelling, Kyle! <laughs> Because he's a baby and he'll be able to respond to you. Exactly. Uh, They find him in the backseat of their car with a little kiss on his forehead. Um, And after a checkup at the doctor, they come home to find that their room was also destroyed. The next day, Sharon calls Lisa and threatens her and it's great. And they beef up their security. Soon after, they make a... (laughs) Okay, so soon after, they make a very contrived and convenient plan to visit Sharon's parents for their 33rd anniversary. Sharon leaves first. Uh, but she forgets to set the alarm. So she returns and finds Lisa in her bed, drinking her wine and wearing her shirt. If this fight ensues, that ends with Lisa falling through the floor in the attic and ending landing on a glass table. Derek, who is alerted to Lisa's B&E during the fight, shows up and hugs uh, Sharon. The also, end. a chandelier falls on her and crushes yes. her. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, true. this is like a, you, this is a very kind of, we're really breezing through the, uh, the fight sequence. Which is very long. It's very protracted. Yes. Yeah, Beyonce I mean, put a could, lot of hours in fight training into that sequence. Yeah. You could dedicate a whole podcast to that fight scene. <laughs> or at least like one episode of one. I agree. Okay. But uh, so, as I understand, <laughs> uh, Sanchez, you and Henry have a, a relationship with this film? Yeah. I mean, we've seen it like multiple times <laughs> together. Um, and so when... Uh, when we were in high school, Henry and I went to high school with Garth. Um, we actually skipped our junior prom to go see this movie. Um, Solid. 10 out of 10. Would recommend. Always skip your prom to go see a movie. I personally don't think it was worth it. I, it was. It 100% was. Yeah, it definitely was. Yeah, it definitely was. My boyfriend at the time got super mad at me. Um, and it's still worth it. He literally pulled me aside and was like, do you really not want to go to prom with me so you can go see a movie with your friends? And I said, yes. <laughs> um, so yeah, we have a, you know, I've seen this movie a lot. Henry's seen this movie a lot. Um, it's very near and dear to my heart, at least. Um, I have fond memories of going to see it. In Bethesda. Um, all right, so Garth Butler, what did what did you two think of the movie? I had a grand old time. 
I got I got really into like how dumb it was. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, like I I feel like I've watched enough like bad stuff in this arena with like various people in this room that like I can now sort of like live through that vicariously. Mm-hmm. And, and like I just felt your like the Sanchezian energy just like <laughs> wafting off this film. Well, yes. <laughs> There's a lot of Sanchez energy about this film. Um, that sounds like a just straight up insult. No, it's not. In a lot of ways, it's it's a loving phrase, but in a lot of ways, it is also means that this is not a Butler movie at all. <laughs> Sanchez energy is like these kinds of thrillers where it's like X person trying to break up another couple in like a lot of like convoluted ways and like there's also dolls like creepy dolls are her energy ghosts are her energy Mm -hmm. conjurings of things are her energy there's a lot of things in sanchez energy they just happen to not be things that i want like anything with uh yeah butler what did you think of the film oh man yeah i was not a fan i was bored most of the time i think the most excitement i got out of it is when detective reese shows up because she is the ada from svu that has a drinking problem Mm. and fights with stabler a lot so that was exciting for me i just i was so bored up until the fight happens then i was like okay finally something but honestly i really like action movies so i think that's like why i was so bored for a while i just like there's so many things that I rolled my eyes at, unfortunately, and I just was like, wow. I don't know. Wow. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know. It just wasn't juicy this enough movie? for me. Mm. Yeah. Wow. This movie is nothing but juice. I needed it juicier. <laughs> yeah, no, like, I, I guess, like, I entered a, a fugue state where, like, whenever something happened in this movie, like, I just hear, like, the Sanchez cackle in my head. Yes. <laughs> but it's just like, there were things I wanted that I didn't get. Like, I yeah. didn't even get to see Idris Elba without his shirt on. I was like, are you kidding that's me? A that's that's a Are you kidding me? If you need me? that, you watch the movie Cats. No. <laughs> <laughs> Streaming now. Uh, no. Yeah, that is, that's a whole different kind of Idris Elba performance. Oh, man. Uh, but yeah, no, there's just like, there's things that I think you, that, that they missed. They missed like, you know, why didn't Ali Lardner like stalk them at their house and peek in the window while he's changing or something? Like that's something mm. that like unforgettable has. Mm. I don't know. It's a you good know? Note. Yeah. That Just like good. come on. So in an odd way, your issue with the movie is that it's not trashy enough. Yeah, basically. Mm. Mm. <laughs> they should have gone okay. I said it needed to be juicier. I needed it to go further. Hmm. I needed her to be like a like a bit more too much. I think that's I fair. Know. I mean, there's uh, I I would have definitely appreciated a little bit more female gaze because there is yeah. definitely a male gaze in this that yeah. is not yeah. really it's not reflected in the characters, but it is reflected in the script and it's yeah. very much uh, reflected in the way the film is shot, mm. yeah. specifically with uh, Lisa's legs, which is oh man, yeah. <laughs> well, we I just we'll talk I about know. we can talk about the legs. For sure. <laughs> so many yeah. thoughts on that. For now, let's talk about how uh, Beyonce's performance was. Do people have strong thoughts? I think it's a weird thing where, like, I, I genuinely can't tell if I think she was good or bad, but I think, she, like, what she was doing was perfect for this movie. hmm Yeah. I think she was, like, I think she was fine for most of the movie. Um, the place where I think she signed is when she went into full mama bear mode, and mm-hmm. I think she had excellent, like, angry mama bear energy. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. she really knocked that out of the park. Yeah, yeah. definitely. I agree. The rage was good. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's a theme in the season so far where, like, we seem to be responding to Beyonce in that mode of, like, I'm gonna beat you up now. She mm-hmm. needs big emotions, I feel like, to really bring out her acting. Yeah. Yeah, or mm-hmm. she needs to be a CGI lion. That's for another well, episode. To, to be sorry. continued on that A few line. episodes yeah. down the line. <laughs> yeah. 
no it's just it's her like reading certain lines too where she's like you know like you took my child and stuff like that mm-hmm. where it's just like yeah it's great yeah it's it's perfect for what this movie is yeah, yeah one of my favorite ones is where she says you think you're crazy i'll show you crazy try me bitch yes i remember that from the trailer <laughs> yeah, I, such yes. a good line yeah it's mm-hmm. also a good example of allowing beyonce to keep her accent a little yeah, yeah. that was nice i also liked all of her um fight banter it felt good yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah like I, I enjoyed her in this movie. I don't know if she was good. Yeah. Yeah. Santos? I think she was good for what, you know, we're doing here, right? Which yeah. is like, <laughs> you gotta say crazy shit and fight a lady. Yeah. And she did that very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think she did what she needed to do well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think most of my issues with her character or performance are probably script issues, to be honest. So, like, not yeah. her fault yeah. at all. Yeah, she really doesn't have anything to do for, like, the first two-thirds of the movie. Yeah. I just, I don't know. And I think part of the issue is maybe, like, it feels like um, Lisa isn't as interfering as much as I want her to. Like, I really want her to be getting Mm. in there and causing problems for Beyonce to react to. Like, I want her to Mm. be, like, fighting for his attention more or something Mm -hmm. like that. Let's talk about Lifetime movies. Um, So, I've been informed in the past that this is a good example of one. And uh, since I wrote the draft of, or the, the outline of this, I have watched the wrong tutor oh you did oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> and uh having seen that like i definitely think i know what you're talking about but like granted that movie's cheating a little bit because it is a carbon copy of this movie <laughs> well I, you but, can but say featuring that. like a lot of what you were talking about though like it does have the like i'm gonna watch him undress and mm-hmm. anyway henry i cut you off <laughs> I, say, I mean you can say it's a carbon copy but then you would have to say that about all of the other dozens of lifetime movies that are also carbon copies yes. like mm-hmm. the wrong tutor is not an abnormal lifetime movie this yeah. exact plot just happens over and over and over again in lifetime movies. oh yeah mm. it's very plug and play with them they like to it's like there's a whole series that we've talked about that's the wrong ex like the wrong mm-hmm. babysitter the wrong mm-hmm. stepmother the wrong stepfather or whatever like and then you all, plug all, something in yeah. all of the nouns from those movies there's also the perfect yes. the perfect tutor the perfect teacher the perfect et babysitter yes. all of yeah. these things yes <laughs> so <laughs> lifetime likes the formula <laughs> does the perfect tutor just tutor well and then go home no it's like uh it's a uh, ironic perfect you know because they're they seem perfect but yeah, there's something huh? going on below the surface Henry, uh what is your relationship with lifetime movies i have watched hundreds of them <laughs> <laughs> i have That's watched amazing. at least 45 so far this year wow um, i have really seen too many of these not too many i love them and i'm not going to apologize for loving them <laughs> but so i'm pretty familiar with their tropes and this obsessed i'm gonna you know take this to my grave this is it's just a big budget version of a lifetime mm. movie and i mean you could also say that you know it's it's riffing off of fatal attraction but i think fatal attraction is also basically a lifetime movie yeah. so mm-hmm. disconnected from the lifetime channel this specific extremely formulaic type of thriller is the type of thing that lifetime makes literally hundreds of yeah. like mm-hmm. i think they make at least 50 to 100 of these a year oh yeah mm-hmm. so they turn them out yeah I think like some lifetime is just such like a I'm so in awe of their business practices as a <laughs> network because I think that they probably took something that started in cinema and they have turned it into like an art form that they are making probably so much money off of and they're just churning them out consistently like I just I would love to just see their ratings it's glorious it's yeah. kind of like one of the, the closest <laughs> things you get to like a modern grindhouse you mm-hmm. know things just like they churn out these exploitation movies like Mm -hmm. they can sometimes put out two new movies a week like it's just crazy they love doing that and i think they're starting to attract more and more celebrities too like it always gets i guess what you could call sort of like c-level actors in them and then they have regulars that they've made um lifetime celebrities 
but I think that they're starting to attract bigger people. Like they had this, it was like sort of a, a joke, but they also had like Mario Lopez in the oh, Colonel movie. Mm-hmm. And I think they right. really are starting to attract like big brand sponsorship and, you know, yeah. that sort of stuff. Every so often, like, you know, there there are big names that take interest. Like Will Ferrell and Kristen Wiig actually wrote and starred in a Lifetime movie together. Oh, um, mm-hmm. And th- mm-hmm. what's funny about it is that people who watch it expect it to be a comedy, but it's pretty much just a straight up Lifetime movie. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the joke is yeah. that they're like, yeah, we're right. just going to play a Lifetime movie totally straight. <laughs> There's also one that James Franco worked on, mm-hmm. um, which is a lot more self-aware than normal. A lot um, of people mm-hmm. have been in these. Like, uh, there's a whole series of... Henry, I think, really likes, like, the thrillers. I'm more into, like, the ones based on, like, creepy novels. Like, it's, like, mm-hmm. there's, like, a lot of, like, children shoved into attics, and then they end up falling in love with each oh, other. Oh, like... I've, I've watched all of those. Don't <laughs> <Yeah>. get me wrong. <laughs> those are, that's the particular <laughs> Lifetime schlock that I'm into. Mm-hmm. It's, like, it's all of a sudden there's a witch in the family, and it's a long line of witches, and they're Ooh. from the South, and they're Ooh. voodoo. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. That's the stuff I like. Southern voodoo witches. Oh, yeah, and, the, of course, like, the witches, the voodoo witches are always the black people, of course. But it's amazing. <laughs> a lot of those in particular are adapted from novels by an author named V.C. Yes. Andrews who mm-hmm. always wrote about incest. Yes. Like multi-generational incest <laughs> yes. stories. And yes. Lifetime has adapted multiple of them into a movie series. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. she wrote several different series. Like The Petals in the Attic or The Flowers in the Attic is just one series. And then she has separate ones that continue. It's like... It, yeah, and I then just, after the she died, a, a man actually started ghostwriting in her name and wrote more of them. Amazing. So. Wow. Amazing. So much material to mine, honestly. And they're doing a, a great job. <laughs> fully agreed okay so what makes like a good lifetime movie oh man it's for me it's definitely like the schlock like it's mm-hmm. it's always over the top and at least in the stuff that i like like it's always like you know there has to be incest for some reason like there's always like some contrived way or reason that the kids have to live in the attic away from their mother who is also their sister or something like that and the over-the-top acting, I think, is great. But also, you, I like the production value. Like, they're putting real money into these movies. From oh. what I've heard, like, they put the actors up in really amazing accommodations. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. Interesting. Yeah. Good for them. Yeah, I mean, I think kind of on, on similar lines. I think for me, it's always um, how much am I delighted by ridiculous things that the characters <laughs> do. It's basically always, like, there is one crazy character. One of my favorite series in particular is called Stalker's Prey, and it's about <laughs> a guy... Every at the beginning of every movie, he saves a beautiful young woman from a shark attack and then stalks her for the rest of the movie. <laughs> he usually kills at least a couple people. And this is, there are three is of these now. I don't think so. I oh, think he's wow. just a guy that happens to be there, and he like heroically saves three different people from sharks and Amazing. then uh, torments them afterwards because okay. he's in love with them. How okay. does he now? Is he targeting shark attack victims, or how is he doing this? I think it's a coincidence each time. Amazing. Yeah, it's Amazing. really awesome. Just I, fantastic stuff. That's the kind of stuff I love. Like, there's no, they're not going to bother to write a reason. It's not like he's targeting people on shark infested beaches. He's waiting for a coincidence to happen. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, who I love cares, it. Who cares how it works? Right? You know, it's great. It's um <laughs> it's perfect. And I think that is one of the main things that distinguishes them and why I identify this so heavily with a lifetime movie is that the villains are always just they're crazy uh, in a way that I think is coded in a way that I like to talk about. And I think mm-hmm. that's the, also the thing that's most harmful about these movies is the way that they depict mental health. Mm-hmm. But um that that is the quintessential lifetime thing is there is a crazy person who's going to put these very normal almost always suburban people through mm-hmm. the ringer because of their craziness yeah mm-hmm. and that's exactly what happens in obsessed yeah gotcha. i think it has to be the only other thing i'll say is i think that they are very specific about trying to put things in the suburbs because i think they also know their audience which oh, i yeah. feel like yeah. is heavily suburban right and yeah Usually white, yeah. Yeah, very. It's white. It's female, and if we've learned anything this year, it's how much white women love true crime. <laughs> <laughs>
lifetime yeah, gift. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I feel like every time you and I watch, like, a TLC reality show, <laughs> particularly for weddings, it's like, how come all these weddings look kind of the same? Oh, it's because they get the TLC audience to basically be on the show. Okay, so I was going to ask, like, what is a bad Lifetime movie then? But it sounds to me like maybe we shouldn't be thinking of them in terms of good or bad, or at the very least, like, a bad Lifetime movie just isn't over the top in a way. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. Like, I I generally like all Lifetime movies. The ones that I haven't liked are ones where just, like, they don't get crazy enough they don't mm-hmm. have things where you have to shriek at the tv and say why would you do that you know or like mm-hmm. jesus you know mm-hmm. like <laughs> you have to feel like yelling at something over yes. the course because of the way people behave and if you don't if people are acting too rationally or too understandably then it you yeah. know ends up making the movie less bo- less interesting i totally agree i am the kind of person that loves to interact with the tv i love to yell at it and talk to it i know <laughs> garth knows this for sure so does my mother who frequently comes in and says who are you talking to um it's almost and... like the nitpick corner of our podcast is entirely based on this <laughs> yes and i think that like basically i think what you would call like a bad lifetime movie is anything pre them really finding out what their formula is so like there's a lot of mm-hmm. older stuff that i remember watching in like my health class or something about like teen pregnancy mm-hmm. those are what i would call bad even though i don't know the movie was okay but it's like very pre them figuring out like we need to go to have an element of fun and interactivity yeah. it was much more just dramatic and like oh the woes of this pregnant teen also when they started they generally had higher production value in their movies they put more work into the script and as a result they resemble real movies more as opposed to these like factory line ridiculous <laughs> things that are just tossed out really rapidly mm-hmm. they you know sometimes they have really great titles like there's one i watched that had a great title called half a dozen babies <laughs> and i was so excited about the title but it was actually a movie that someone had kind of put some effort into the script with and then that ended oh, up being disappointing which is why i think modern lifetime movies are at their peak because they put them out really fast they're really over the top vivica mm-hmm. a fox is in like 40% of them. <laughs> and we love her. It's, yeah. we it's love fantastic. Her. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, we, we have praised the gay fox on this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So, can, Henry, can you tell us a little more about, like, the mental health stuff you mentioned? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that this is something that happens in every Lifetime movie, and I think it's insidious because I think there's large swaths of the country. I think we live in a place where people are much more open about mental health Mm-hmm. Uh, than some other places where I think people go most of their lives oftentimes completely undiagnosed. And mm-hmm. the way that we talk about mental health is using really reductive phrases like, well, this person's crazy, which mm-hmm. is exactly how they talk about Lisa and Obsessed, mm-hmm. despite the fact that um, I've I got some statistics throughout here, but I think that she is coded as a person with borderline personality disorder. That's what I was wondering. I was mm-hmm. We had this sort of discussion as we were preparing for the podcast, and I was really trying to figure out, like, okay, are they really trying to push her towards, like, are they implying that she has one specific thing? Or are they just implying, like, are they just going to yeah. go with, like, the broad, she's crazy angle? Right. Like, what are they really trying to get with here? And I don't want to diagnose her. I don't think it's right to armchair diagnose people mm-hmm. and even fictional characters. And mm-hmm. I don't think that the intent was to write her with a borderline personality in mind. But I think that intentionally or unintentionally, she was coded with a lot of features that borderline personality people have. And I want to back mm-hmm. this up. I found a paper by two psychiatrists uh, named Randy and Laurie Sansone. It seems like they were having some fun and they wrote a paper called Fatal Attraction Syndrome, (laughs) where they talked about um, the prevalence of borderline personality in stalking cases in the United States. And it's actually really common for stalking. Like apparently 12 to 16% of women and 4 to 7% of men report at some point in their lifetime, at least when this was written, which is around 2010, Mm -hmm. that they experienced stalking. So it's Mm -hmm. like, it's not you know extremely common but it's not uncommon either like that's Mm -hmm. a lot of people Mm -hmm. and uh to put this in perspective about 1.6 percent of population uh is the rate of borderline personality 
and up to 45% of stalking cases involve people with borderline personality features, mm-hmm. according to at least one of these studies. That was mm-hmm. the maximum one. That strikes me as a little bit high. Mm-hmm. But the point being, people with borderline personality disorder are overrepresented in stalking cases. Mm-hmm. Okay. And to give some symptoms, just in case you're not familiar, of borderline personality uh, disorder, it's intense and unstable relationship patterns that, are, that come and go uh, mm-hmm. really intensely impulsive and risky behavior, intense fear of abandonment and paranoid delusions and suicidal behavioral impulses, which I think we see all of those in Lisa. Mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm. One scene in particular, which struck me as really seeming like she was BPD coded was after she sexually assaults Derek in the bathroom and then comes out when he leaves her. And instead of doing the normal lifetime villain thing of like, you know, you know, rubbing her hands together and going, Oh, I'll get him next time. Mm-hmm. She looks kind of sad and she goes over to her gay friend and says, like, hey, please dance with me. And it comes mm-hmm. off this kind of pitiable moment where she seems really uh, she seems to feel really abandoned and alone. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah, I that that's one of the reasons I think she's coded as having BPD in this movie, mm-hmm. intentionally or unintentionally, and why I think, you know, it's kind of shitty that movies like this that have people coded like that are always like, Yeah, they're just crazy. What can you do? Even though there are lines in this where it's like we need to get her the help she needs. But like, mm-hmm. what are you talking about? Right. Calling the cops? Yeah. Like, yeah. they're not going to get that for her. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. And I mean, I think like, especially her being coded as having borderline personality disorder is really, it makes a lot of sense to me. I never thought about it like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's also just like a lazy, you know, like it's something that doesn't get explored very often. Um, like, okay, we're saying this person's crazy, but, like, what do we mean? And, like, what do we mean about getting her help? Of course it is. Mm-hmm. In, in Lifetime movies and in Obsessed, mm-hmm. there are two types of states that a mental per- that for uh, mental health would be. You're either normal or you're crazy. Mm-hmm. And Lifetime movies are exploitation movies that are depicting almost always people on the crazy spectrum. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's, you know, it's, it's playing into a really harmful idea about mental health that I think a lot of the country has. Either you're normal or you're crazy. And if you let it slip that you're crazy, you're one of those people. Mm-hmm. And you're dangerous and you're an other... And there's no nuance to be had there. And these movies reinforce that idea. And that's mm-hmm. why they're harmful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think like, you know, in recent years, like Pete Davidson, I know in particular has done a lot of um, like, you know, he's spoken really publicly about like how he has borderline personality disorder. And I think he, you know, he's done a really interesting job of like kind of shedding light on that um, uh, personality disorder in particular too, because I think that's one that gets kind of seen as like, you are crazy, this trait is immutable, like, Mm -hmm. this is who you are, where, like, that's not the case, really, and, like, there, you know, there is help that people can get, but it's just, it's, I think, you know, yeah, these movies are, like you were saying, exploitation films, and they, you know, they exploit the thing that, like, suburban women, like, white suburban women are afraid of, (laughs) which is, like, crazy people. Yeah, not to excuse what Lisa did in the movie, of course, she sexually assaulted and raped a man, but, Yeah. yeah. Um, there's no assumption or there's no acknowledgement in the movie that maybe society failed Lisa a little bit here. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. just, this is all coming from Lisa and this is all her fault. Yeah. 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 I suppose like the non insidious way of reading into it, which I'm not inclined to do, frankly, mm-hmm. but the, the non insidious way is just like, there is a long line of like depictions in film and TV of like this story of like the quote unquote crazy woman becomes mm-hmm. obsessed because, mm-hmm. you know, like we talked about fatal attraction, but like, even before that, you have, like, Play Misty for Me and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like, it, it's just, like, a long, like, lineage of film and television that we just haven't questioned because we weren't evolved. Um, mm-hmm. But, again, I think that's being generous yeah. For, yeah. to it, frankly. For um, sure. I love this movie, but I don't yeah. think we need to be generous to yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. Speaking of things not. we should not be generous yeah, about. Me. Yeah, so... <laughs> Uh, another thing that we should not be generous about is the way that this film handles the issue of race. 
they made a really interesting decision to not address any of the racial dynamics of the fact that a black couple is being stalked by a white woman. And in general, is also the only people of color that you see on screen, mm-hmm. really, in like the film, which yeah. I thought was extremely interesting choice. <laughs> but I mean, he does work, I suppose, in a very corp, like, he works in a very like corporate business. I don't 100% know what he was doing. I thought maybe banking. I think it's something something, something like finance. Yeah, he's something like, with finance. Yeah, he, he's a lawyer finance. He's some sort of financey guy, which yeah. is like a. I know it's a very like male white dominated field, but still like someone else. He's got the big account. Anybody else? Not even at the resort. <laughs> like yeah, and um, it's I don't know. It's just really interesting. Like not even like the babysitter. Like we don't see any of Beyonce's family that she mentions a lot on screen. Well, they're in San Diego. True. Well, her sister's in town. Her sister babysits the kids sometimes. We don't even see her. We just hear about her and her trifling <coughs> husband over the phone. Like, yeah. Um, and yeah. I don't know. It was just, it was really intriguing decision on their part about why they wouldn't talk about it. And a lot of critics at the time saw it as like a fault of, um, saw it as a fault in the movie. And I think I agree. Like, touch on it a little bit or at least make the rest of the movie look a little more diverse you gotta go one way or the other mm-hmm. yeah i mean like this is probably just like my psychology or whatever but like i'm watching this movie and it's just like i'm watching this like entitled white lady just intrude herself into this black couple's life yeah mm-hmm. and i thought it spoke volumes but like mm-hmm. again i'm not gonna give this movie credit and i don't think like they were doing that intentionally yeah and uh, there's also a part of me that definitely thinks that, like, if this movie did go out of its way to specifically address the racial dynamics of this movie, mm-hmm. it would probably do a really shitty job of it. I just, yeah. I wanted even a phone call with the sister for her to complain about Lisa and be like, you know how white women are always trying to steal our men or mm. something. Just mm. anything. <laughs> anything. Just the post on the notes first. I kind of love it. Yeah, I don't know. Like, no, yeah, well, that fits the movie. Yeah. I want yeah. it to be crazier, so that's why I'm going down that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it is like it's like weird. It's almost it feels like a time capsule almost mm-hmm. of like you know how like like not cinema. I feel like <laughs> cinema is not the appropriate term for this movie, but like you know how just like how mainstream movies looked in two thousand and eight too, where yeah. there was like no no kind of pressure to actually like make a movie talk about race or mm-hmm. include you know people of color in movies, right? Yeah, so and, you have and this. when they were talking about race, they were doing a terrible job. Yeah. Of- Yes, exactly. Like, yeah, exactly. We're, we're in a post-crash world. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Lakeview Terrace. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, can't forget Lakeview Terrace. Terrace. Cannot forget Lakeview Terrace. My my high school boyfriend also got really mad at me because I bailed on him to go watch Lakeview Terrace. Sounds like a long pattern of you bailing on hear, your boyfriend. I want to hear like a list of every movie you ditch said boyfriend. They're all going to be written by David Lowry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was, uh, what was it, the, like, Tom? The, the, the JTT yeah. Tom and Huck movie <laughs> that came out when we were probably, like, seven. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, so, okay, there's also a really interesting quote from Idris Elba on Oprah.com. He says, It hasn't been said yet, and it probably won't be said because it's not part of the film, but there's an obvious moment of, oh, that's interesting, by way of race, in that there's an African-American couple in the leading position in a thriller. It's not mentioned in the film, it's never an issue, and I think that's phenomenal. Allie Lardner is the antagonist and falls in love with her boss, who is an exemplary boss who happens to be Black. To me, that was very refreshing that the studio execs didn't want to make an issue of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, like, <laughs> it's, it's so, there's so many things in this quote to like sort of 
deal with. In some ways, I think I understand what he's what he's saying. There's something to being like valued as just like a person and not having like your race be part of it or brought up. But I think in a lot of ways, like this movie could have like been more if it had um, addressed some of these issues. Yeah, like I, I read that quote and I struggled with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, on one hand, you know, I'm a dumb white who. <laughs> can't have the same relationship with this kind of stuff <laughs> mm-hmm. uh and like yeah like i totally understand the frustration of like you know having to be the representation of race in you know every project you're in especially like in this era of hollywood mm-hmm. but like i think like if this is the point you wanted to make this would not be how you would phrase it in 2021 mm-hmm. yeah um because i i think like fundamentally he's right Mm-hmm. or you know i don't i'm again mm-hmm. a, a cracker ass cracker and uh i <laughs> can, can <laughs> I, I don't i don't i i'm i will never be capable of understanding what he's feeling but um yeah it's difficult in like especially in a post like oscar's so white and like get out mm-hmm. world mm-hmm. Um, yeah where like now yeah like i, I also kind of struggle with like the sentiment he is in which like producers want to go out of their way to address race whereas like i felt it was kind of the opposite for many years where it's Mm -hmm. like they want to avoid talking about Mm -hmm. anything substantial for you know most of our lives so Mm -hmm. far Mm -hmm. but yeah i mean he's on a different uh he he has he's from a different perspective than Mm -hmm. mine Mm -hmm. I think if they had addressed race in this movie, it would have really set it apart from Lifetime movies because mm-hmm. Lifetime movies are generally completely colorblind. They're usually segregated. Um, mm-hmm. Like it'll be a black family being terrorized by you know a black crazy person or mm-hmm. a white family being terrorized by a white crazy person. The Wrong Tutor, which is the one I, I recommended, is one of the few <laughs> I could find that actually broke this, where it was a, it was a POC couple being terrorized by a white woman. Mm-hmm. But of course, it was still totally colorblind. Like mm-hmm. they never bring race into it. Mm-hmm. And if they had addressed it, it would have said the part. But the fact they didn't is stronger evidence that this is just a lifetime movie. I also agree with the idea that if they had tried, if David Lowry, this white ass dude, had tried to write some commentary on race into this, it would have been a disaster because we saw how it went in Lake Utah. Yeah, I, was about to, I was about to ask, how, how did it go? In we Lake we can see how it went for reference there, yeah. and it went very badly. I'm so curious to, I, I almost want to watch The Intruder now because I'm very curious because that was the setup. It was a POC couple and a white man intruding on their marriage, and I'm so mm. curious like to find out like, well, what are the dynamics? What's like, what's going on in the movie now? Now that we've talked about this, well, do you guys remember the? one where it was like it's Catherine Heigl plays like the ex-wife and then it's what's her unforgettable um, unforgettable yeah yes, so Rosario like, Dawson. yeah I think that's like a, yes that's who it is that's right yeah well where, where it's like we kind of have the inverse going on where mm-hmm. it's like Rosario Dawson is kind of you know like entering like life with this like you know these white people who mm-hmm. have this like existing dynamic that's like you know um kind of antagonistic mm-hmm. and I don't think they talk about race in that movie at all either um um you know what i don't think they really bring it up that much yeah. i think the mom maybe makes like a like snippy a comment, comment or something yeah. about her yeah uh, were, were all these movies put out in the era of like i don't see race unforgettable is fairly recent isn't it yeah oh, it's from a couple it? of years ago yeah oh. yeah um it was like see, Catherine you, Heigl's, you, like, you, return. you described yeah, exactly. that movie to me and i just assumed it was from the late 2000s i mean Catherine Heigl. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. There was, there was a time when she did acting. Yeah, uh, but no, it's fairly recent. It's from the last like few years or so mm-hmm. for sure. Um, but I, yeah, I don't. I, one of the things that always that struck me really about that movie is like, yeah, it's I don't know how to explain it exactly. It's like it's really interesting to me that dynamic of like 
being threatened by like a woman of color taking your mm-hmm. husband or like yeah. who you perceive to be your man even though yeah. you're not even married anymore mm-hmm. like okay yeah you gotta get over it but <laughs> yeah. i don't know there's something interesting about that casting that makes it feel like is this an extra level of threatening for Catherine? Hegel? yeah the fact right. that like not yeah. only is like her ex-husband marrying somebody new but she's also like this very beautiful like woman of color yeah. is that like she's like intruding on like her perfect white san francisco existence yeah yeah exactly um and it's you know i think it suffers from the same thing that obsessed does where it's mm-hmm. like it you know the people who made the film are probably not equipped to talk about it but mm-hmm. it would have been a more interesting film probably if they had mm-hmm. right yes interesting not a qualified interesting just interesting yeah. just yeah. yeah exactly all right. So we already talked about Lisa a little bit, um, but <laughs> so it seems like a lot of reviewers kind of criticize the film for just like not giving her any motivation or reasoning behind why she does what she does, which we kind mm-hmm. of already talked about with like mental health and just being like, no, she's crazy. Yeah. I would like to say though, that yeah. I think Allie Larder does a fantastic job in this role. Even if she's a shitty person, which yeah. maybe she, I think she knocks it out of the park. I think yeah. she's a fantastic yeah. lifetime villain. <laughs> she does play a very crazy person. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. There's one really great line delivery she does where the detective asks like, so did you sleep with him? And she goes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it is such an excellent line delivery. I love it. Yeah, oh, yeah, like, yeah. There's a part of me that like wonders like, is she aware of why she was cast? Oh man. Yeah. I got the sense that know. she is. Yeah. I feel like I kind of do too. She seemed to understand what kind of movie this was and she seemed to be having it up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So according to David Lowry, um, he, he says, uh, I didn't really delve into her past or try to explain why Lisa is the way she is. It's scarier if we never really know how she's developed <laughs> this personality um, <laughs> that can go from very loving to ultimately deadly. So yeah, again, we kind of already talked about this, but like, is it just... scarier? He's such a dickhead. Is this, it doesn't feel scarier. I want to know that there's like a long history of her doing this, and that's why she's a temp. She's a temp so she can jump from like office to office. I just, I'm really, yeah. come on. And that is something yeah. that they often do in Lifetime movies, which is missing from this one, which is that the people who are being terrorized will go and find a previous victim. And yes. that never happened here. We don't actually know what her past is. So as far as we know, this could be like, you know, an episode she's having that has never actually happened to her before. And yeah. she didn't have a support net, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's what, that's really that's what they point. did uh, in the wrong tutor. Yeah, it's very, very common <laughs> in Lifetime movies. They didn't do it here. I see. Yeah, not to spoil the end of the wrong tutor, but like. She's just, at the end of the movie, she's just in a different classroom under a different name. Well, they have to give them sequel endings. Yeah. Then you can do, I like, what it. they did with the shark movies, where you keep on having the shark attacks happen. The know? longer tutors. Yeah. yeah, that's what I want. I want, it, I want it to turn out that she's moving, like, to a new state every time something doesn't go well, and she's creating a new identity mm-hmm. for herself, and that's mm-hmm. why she's taking a new temp job in a yeah. new finance office. Like, yeah. that's what mm-hmm. I want. Yeah. Yeah, I guess we never really find the dramatic, like, oh, look at what she, you know, like, have you guys seen Orphan? No, but I've heard, yes. you, I've heard you talk about Orphan a lot. I feel like Orphan has a very satisfying one where they're like, wait, what? Yeah. Like, she's been doing this all over Europe. Oh, and I've seen the SVU version of Orphan also with the kid, with a girl that looks very much like the actress in Orphan. Incredible. I love it. It's so good. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I think it's definitely a deep flaw. They should have done more to explain her motivation. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I don't Just know, a I, little bit. I was also looking for, <laughs> like, know. what is the moment where she really falls for him? Because I didn't really feel it. I was like, is it truly just the flirting in the elevator? That's it. <laughs> that was really shitty flirting. Yeah. I, think it's not, yeah. I mean, it's the whole sequence, right? She flirts with him in the elevator. They have a little bit of chemistry there. Yeah. But then he tells her, like, oh, this Derek Charles guy, he's a real asshole. And then at the end of the day, when he's leaving, she says, I was talking to everyone in the office, and they mm-hmm. say he's a really great guy. And he's mm-hmm. like, eh. 
And he's being really self-deprecating and charming. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. seems to be the moment where she starts researching him and, like, getting mm-hmm. really interested in him. I think, you know, it was just her first day overall, not just the elevator. Mm, yeah, I, I guess that. so, yeah. I don't know. Maybe if I'd seen them interact more on the first day also, like, if she'd run into him in the lunchroom there or she, likes, you know, got to see him with, like, a meeting with a client or something and he's great as opposed to, like, all the other guys. Just, like, something to make him stand out more from the rest of the douchebags mm-hmm. he works with. This is the place where I think Idris Elba... I think, in general, Idris Elba's performance was probably the worst out of the three weeks. <laughs> this is the place where I do think he did well. I mean, also, his American accent was really bad. Um, I do think that he did a really good job of laying on the charm in the introduction mm-hmm. scenes with Lisa. Yeah. It was like, oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, I could understand how someone get fixated on a guy that's this charming. He was yeah. just losing charm in those scenes. Fair. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I guess my thing is giving her a backstory and all that is like what a competent movie would do mm-hmm, true and the more like competent you make this like the, the less it stands out i guess i think that's fair but i also think these movies benefit from just like or just give her like a really ridiculous backstory exactly that yeah. you want the you want the yeah, kind of you know the zhuzh yeah she's like, <laughs> we like a good zhuzh yeah all right so let's talk about some of these differences between the script and the movie oh man uh so henry you skimmed the script i did yeah um, there are some pretty notable differences. The first one is not important, but I really wanted to talk about mm-hmm. it, which is the script is obsessed with Narles Barkley. Obsessed. Um, I, what? I, yeah. <laughs> I, I want it. There's one part of the script. It's, it's like on the first or second page mm-hmm. where it's talking about he's driving to work and he's listening to the financial reports. And then suddenly he switches the radio and Gone Daddy Gone by Narles Barkley is playing, <laughs> period. And then it says he starts rocking out along to it, period, the two sides of Derek Charles. <laughs> he like listens that. to finance and likes Narles Barkley. And this it happens over and over throughout the script. The, the entire I Am conversation in the mm-hmm. movie, which is about a mixed CD in, mm-hmm. the, in the script, is, oh, I have these bootleg Narles Barkley uh, concerts. And then it says oh. in all caps, one of the tra- chat transcripts says, I love Gnarls. You know, <laughs> it, re- it repeatedly refers to Gnarls Barkley as just Gnarls in the script this because you get so familiar with it. Yeah. Really this, is, this is also one of the first things you learn in screenwriting, which is don't write music in because you don't know if you're going to get the rights. And they also, clearly couldn't get the rights to any Gnarls Barkley yeah, music. Like the, the actual group they got, <laughs> like, really never they actually. Like, or something? No. Crudo? Crudo. Who's Crudo? <laughs> it, it, <it's, laughs> I mean, first of all, they should have gotten Creed. <laughs> now, I, I Crudo was being like into Creed would have been a whole different thing too. Crudo was like a, a music duo. It, it was barely a thing. It was Mike Patton, who's the lead singer of Faith No More, and is like also like a prominent voice actor, and Dan the Automator, oh. who did a lot of work for like early Gorillas, and he produced like Doctor Octagon and things like that. Oh, so not Gnarls. It was no, not <laughs> Gnarls. Not Gnarls at all. I don't think they ever like actually put out an album as a group together. Like it was just like a few shows. Oh yeah, cause, yeah, because that's also what happens yeah. like in the movie right the yeah. cd like, is like a bunch of bootleg tapes of concerts if i yeah. remember right Crudo, but not yeah. gnarls yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> i'd never i've also just never heard someone refer to gnarls barkley as gnarls before so it was very funny to read that uh, so that's i think the you know the silliest and least consequential difference in the script mm-hmm. the other main differences um i think the biggest difference for me when i was and i was very curious about how this was handled was that um I think Beyonce's character behaves really awfully towards mm. Idris Elba in the movie, but the character in the script is actually way worse. 
Um, no. <laughs> in some ways. Uh, specifically that uh, one of Idris Elba's main problems is that he does not tell her about what's happening. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to be super victim blamey to his character. Like, he'd been sexually assaulted. Mm-hmm. Like, if he didn't feel like he could talk about being sexually assaulted as a man in 2009, especially when, like, you know, his current wife was someone that he had cheated on a previous partner with to marry. Mm-hmm. You know, I understand that being really complicated, even if it was the wrong thing on his part. Uh, in the script, what happens is that every time he tries to tell her, the first time he tries to tell her about him being sexually assaulted, she says, no, I'm too tired. Leave me alone. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the second time he so tries to tell funny. her is actually the same in the movie where um, she's like, he's he comes in, he's about to tell her, and she mm-hmm. says, can you believe that our friends just had an affair? Mm-hmm. And he's like, okay, I can't tell her now, which I think, you know, he should have told her another time, but understand his calculation there. Mm-hmm. Also, in the script, uh, Beyonce's character is way less merciful. Um, specifically <laughs> at the very the end of the last fight scene when mm-hmm. um, Lisa is hanging uh, over the glass table. She's about mm-hmm. to fall to her mm-hmm. death. In the movie, Beyonce reaches out her hand and says, please, let me save you. And mm-hmm. then Allie Lauder betrays her because she's crazy, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the script, Beyonce's character, Beth, holds out her hand and says, here, I'll help you. And then once uh, Lisa grabs her hand, she deliberately drops it and lets her <laughs> fall to her death on the last <laughs> table. Oh my god. Honestly, I kind of love that. I yeah, mean, that's yeah, because then yeah. Derek ends up married to someone like he can't ever trust. Yeah. Woman catch. <laughs> I don't know. I, I like that extra little twist. Yeah. Also, yeah. another really big difference for me when it comes to uh, how badly um, Beth slash Sharon treats Derek is that in the script, um, first of all, uh, Beth, I think, either apologizes or acknowledges that she was wrong not to believe him. Mm-hmm. She In the script, also, she does not kick him out of the house for three months after mm-hmm. he gets raped, which was, <laughs> holy fuck. Like, that yeah. was real bad. Yeah, yeah, it's really bad. And it's, you know, like... I mean... I, it's weird to go watch movies from 2008 because yeah. like, wow, a lot of men get like literally raped in movies. And, and we're supposed to be like, sympathetic yeah. with Sharon, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. There's two sides here and you know, both of them are being reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. He just yeah. got raped and you kicked him out of his house and he's also having a hard time at work now because of this. he's just like <laughs> yeah. really suffering. Yeah, mm-hmm. and like she, the, I think one of the worst parts also is like she just doesn't want to hear him out. She ne- yeah. You never really see her let him sit down and explain the situation to her without the cop there yammering in the right. background not helping things. Yeah. Like, so he never really even gets to explain to her like, hey, this is what happened. So like the whole time she's just not listening to him. She doesn't want to hear about his sexual assault. She just wants to keep her own assumptions. And right. it's like, if you're going to be in a good relationship, one thing we learned, thanks to Destiny's Child, one of the commandments is you have to listen to each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was pretty clear from the beginning that there wasn't, when she says, I want to go into work and meet your temp, there is like clearly a lack of trust going on. And oh, we man. learn about why that is later. Yeah. I do want to say, morality aside, one thing I really love is in that scene with the detective, uh, Beyonce gives a stink eye as soon as the um, detective mentions some of the details, and it is powerful. It is a very, very potent stink eye, and I really, really liked it. Yes. 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 That's very fair. Yeah. Like she does imagine. also scream at him after he tries to tell her, I don't believe you, and then starts throwing yes, plates. Yes. So. Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah, I can just imagine Beyonce being a very good stink eye giver. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. Absolutely. For sure. Like lemonade is pretty much just a giant stink high as an album, yes. even though it's great. Yeah. Oh man. Um, yeah. So, what about uh? Was there any differences in kind of the racial dynamics in the script? No, I I looked all over the script for this. That this was the main reason I wanted to see is I wanted to see if the racial dynamics were reflected in the script. Mm-hmm. Derek is mentioned to be black in the script, and Lisa is mentioned to be white, but they do not mention Beth slash Sharon's race. Mm-hmm. Uh, so mm-hmm. I. 
Yeah, I don't know. If the working title was Oh No, She Didn't, maybe there was another implication of her race. But in, as far as the text of the screenplay goes, like she, that's that's just not implied at all. There's there's just like a different like spoof way that this could have gone with that title that is very funny to me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Father, you need to write a movie called Oh No, She Didn't. No, I'm not doing that. When was the last time anyone said Oh No, She Didn't? Probably 2009. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> also one thing that i do want to comment on that is the same is the leg stuff the leg stuff <laughs> is I, de- I, uh, I wish i had the sentence there's a scene where uh, in the script where he's like and then he saw lisa's legs period her great legs wow <laughs> it's, there's so much creepy leg stuff like david lowry clearly has a leg fetish yeah. and it's weirdly reflected in the direction of the film where even though no one like there's one line where someone mentions her legs but there's a lot of shots of mm-hmm. lisa's legs yeah. and it it's it doesn't feel attached to what Derek is feeling as a character because Derek is consistently resisting her advances. It doesn't yeah. seem like he's giving into temptation. Mm-hmm. So it's just weird. Like the director is ogling this woman, but like none of the other characters are. It's it was just a strange choice. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was like, some of these shots are they just for the audience? Like what? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it was weird. It was very weird. Yeah. Uh, one other thing, because I see it written in all caps in the <laughs> outline here. Uh, no jump scare before the chandelier death in script. Yeah, that was a, a difference I noticed. That mm-hmm. in the script, when Lisa dies, um, she kind of like turns and tries to say something, but it's not meant to be sudden. It's supposed mm-hmm. to kind of be pitiable. Like she's mm-hmm. she's trying to say something. Who knows what it is? Mm-hmm. But then the chandelier crushes her before she can say it. Uh, in the script, they do a jump scare where she they zoom in slowly on her face, and then her right. eyes open. She gives this devious smile, and then oh, she gets killed. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Okay. So they made her death a little bit less sympathetic in the movie. I'm fine with that. Yeah. I, mean, too. I am too. It's yeah. great. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. Um, okay, so... Speaking of Me Too. I know, I right? <laughs> this movie is very much pre-Me Too corporate culture. Uh, there's a lot going on here with this office, and yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to explain, like, I don't know how to yeah. describe it other than, like, they were trying too hard to make this a toxic workplace. Like, one of the first things that happens with Lisa is Idris Elba goes into a meeting with his boss and Jerry O'Connell, and they see her walk by... And they immediately start commenting on how pretty she is. And she, like, she slightly bends over to address, adjust, like, the strap of her shoe or something. And you can kind of see her legs in the pencil skirt, <laughs> but not really. And they're like, oh, man, look at her and her legs. That's another, like, yep. I think comment yeah. on how great her legs are. And then they're talking about how, like, oh, there's been no eye candy in the office because Derek married the last piece of eye candy we had. I was like, wow. <laughs> This is just, and I just, I never, I can't picture anybody really saying Wait, that so ever, but like. Is it implied that Beyonce's character worked in the same office? Oh, no, yeah, yeah she played yeah. yourself as assistant. That's how they met. I thought it was at a different job. No, in no. this office. Interesting. Yeah. So she, so she gave up the job to be a housewife. Yes. yes. I see. Yeah, so. The, that's why she wants to go back to school. Yeah, right, so there's okay. a weird trajectory here because also it, it makes me wonder like, okay, how old is she? But also they they establish that he has a long line of dating his female assistants before he's finally decided to marry Beyonce. And apparently and it's also implied to me a little bit that they only got married because she got pregnant with Kyle at the holiday party. Mm-hmm. Huh. Maybe. It's hard to tell exactly. But yeah. yeah. I think that's implied. Yeah. yeah. So there's like a long line of just like established toxic corporate culture. There's also Sally. And the only thing we learned about Sally <laughs> is that she gives people lap dances at the Christmas party. Yeah. And it's just like, even, how does, how does everybody at the office and apparently including HR know that this like holiday party is just like a sex pool of bad mm. behavior. And it's they're just all a fine different with it? time when men can be men. I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's weird too, right? Because it's like the, well, 
and we i think we all know that like the christmas party is very contrived because it needs yes. like you know needs to be a reason for um sharon to not be there right yeah. but like the idea that a like a, a corporate office would be like all right christmas party no wine like, <laughs> <laughs> like that's not gonna happen well i, I, feel I, like I imagine there was probably a certain point in american i guess like company the, 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 I worked for a company that said that you could not bring plus ones to okay. uh, the office party. Okay. <laughs> and okay. that was very obviously meant to be you could not bring your spouse to the office mm. party. <laughs> Unless you weird. were dating someone in the office, in which case you mm. had to make sure HR knew ahead of time that you mm. were dating. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> this office did not seem like they had HR. So. But they did. <laughs> they did. Yeah, they, had one, they had an HR guy. A re- fairly reasonable-ish yeah, man. Sure Although, I don't know, if you were a good HR guy, if someone came into your office and was like, I need to talk to you about the temp, and then you went, oh, no, they left, and then the other person went, oh, cool, never mind, wouldn't you ask a follow-up question? I hope that's not a nitpick of hers. You know, I mean, like, I think you're right. No, it wasn't a nitpick, but that is so interesting you bring it up, because one thing I was wondering is, like, why would HR also make, like, assumptions of what you're going to complain about? Yeah. Because, like, you should just let them finish with their their, whatever they're going to talk to you about, and then you can bring up, like, well, just so you know, she's left. But also, yeah. what you've brought up is serious. Yeah, because it might still be an issue. Like, yeah, no, because, like, the, part of the whole reason he has to go to HR is Jerry O'Connell's, like, HR knows that you have a long history of dating your assistant. This yeah. is bad. Yeah. So, like, they know that they're tracking him. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, like, going back to Sanchez's point about, like, not inviting your spouse to the, like, like I understand, like, you can phrase it in a way it's like, hey, we don't have the resources yeah. to throw, like, an actual big party. This is just, for, like, for us. Yeah. But, like, I think the way it's, like, addressed in this movie, there's definitely, like, an implication, like, yeah, we're gonna get fucked up at the yeah. Christmas party. Yeah. You better yeah. not bring your wife, because the Sally's gonna give you a lap dance. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's exactly. weird. It's just, yeah. It's just real weird. And, like, I, I found, like, the whole kind of, like, corporate culture in this movie interesting, because I, I, if this is a Lifetime movie, but not, like, officially, but, like, clearly, like, the demographic for like the audience for this movie is probably women at least like by yeah. hollywood logic and like if you're marketing a movie towards women then like you probably want to do a better job of not showing like terrible work environments but like that's also me in the 2020s post me too looking back in hindsight and being like well yeah like that's logical but then like definitely was not to like hollywood executives who were making this movie at the time i think that's fair i also think there's an element of it though so i'm i don't this might be being too generous but i think a lot of times what lifetime movies will do is they'll show when they do things from a male perspective is they kind of act out fan like paranoid fantasies of what you know Mm -hmm. what do you think your husband's doing when he's not at home or something and there's a little bit of exploitation going on in that depiction as well and i think you could argue that that's what this movie is doing i'm not sure it's the case i think it might just be that david lowry isn't a good writer and doesn't know how to write for his audience Yeah, I think you're yeah. right. He's probably more focused on like making it just a really broy office. Yeah, he just really but... understand wants to express what it's like to be Derek and be torn between the world of finance and gnarls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, like yeah. I, I think like either way, like the absurdity of it of just like you want women to see this movie, but like this movie hates women, <laughs> like yeah yeah it it a lot of troublingly women, a made... lot of movies for women hate women yeah yeah that's definitely exactly. the case with like a yeah. lot of lifetime movies yeah, yeah. 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 I, I guess like this is me being a babe about uh 
Lifetime movies or whatever, but like yeah, it's super yeah. common. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah it's just like that. That like the the sort of like the contrast, the tactlessness of it, like definitely like made it more like troublingly enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this movie. I mean, it's just like listen. Not only does there toxic culture also within the office, but it's interesting how the toxic culture extends to. Beyonce, who is now not now not in the office, because you're talking to something Henry mentioned is like, oh, maybe this is the office that they're portraying that like they think that the suburban wives that are watching it are worried about. Mm-hmm. Well, then they also portray Beyonce as the woman who doesn't trust other professional women because mm-hmm. she's immediately suspicious of the fact that he has a female assistant. In fact, once they got married, there's a rule that he can only have gay male assistants from now on because she doesn't trust him to be loyal and to not flirt mm-hmm. with another female assistant. And then she's immediately suspicious of Lisa, even because I guess it was because she got her name wrong in the message or something like that, or maybe a message got mm-hmm. lost. But like, she's like mm-hmm. outright pretty mean to her when they meet in person. She like doesn't even know this woman. She just is suspicious of her because she's yeah. a woman in the workplace working for her her husband. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Although in fairness, she is reacting to the comment that uh, Lisa is like, oh, he's so handsome, just like you. <laughs> Which, that so didn't you, help. You that could argue weird. that Lisa yeah. shot first here. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of felt like Beyonce went in like and had an attitude immediately, but I do feel like you're right. She did start reacting to things Lisa was throwing at her, and I was like, this is bad. I think she escalated, <laughs> but there's a good argument that Lisa shot first. Yeah, like, wasn't yeah. there a scene like uh, like they're in bed before him, and he mentions like Lisa the temp? Yes, and, yes. And she clearly did not react well to Lisa yes. the temp. Yeah. This is yeah. when I think the message got... She said, oh, didn't you get my message earlier? And he said, oh, no, you know, I have a temp. She must have forgotten to give me the message. And she says, she? And she's like, yeah. He's like, He says, yeah, Lisa the temp is my assistant filling in for whatever his Patrick. name is. Patrick, who's out with the flu. And she said, oh, really? Well, I want her fired because we agreed you're not allowed. <laughs> yeah. I was like, you can't just get this woman fired that, from that her job. Yeah. yeah, Like, maybe reassigned, maybe, but probably not. But, like, fired? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that weird. wasn't okay. No. Also, this isn't really related to, like, the toxic corporate culture, but I just, I think the character of Patrick (laughs) is one of my favorite characters in this entire movie. (laughs) I did love Patrick. Like, just, like, throughout the entire movie, even after Lisa quitted, everyone knew that she, like, you know, was, like, stalking Idris Elba. She's still calling him and being like, hey, Patrick, what's up? Hey, um, what's Derek's address? And he's like, oh, girl, you're so crazy. (laughs) 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 Yeah, I would watch, like, a whole TV show about Patrick. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, like, he definitely got set up for that, because he, like, admitted ahead of time, like, I will always give you the information, I'm gossipy, like, so she definitely played on that. I was like, okay. It's just, like, a man who, like, is, like, the least perceptive. Yes. Like, least yeah, perceptive. Must, must be real here. Yes, if Patrick sure. was the assistant instead of Lisa, he still probably would have gotten Derek into trouble. Yeah. yeah. Yes. No, definitely. It's like um, very little effort getting those like San Diego road trip plans out of No, America. he just he just called and asked and he was like, Oh, you you we gotta we gotta get lunch sometime. Let me tell you what's going on. Yep. 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 If you not like this is a huge thing, like within the office. Like yep. everyone knows what's happening with Derek. But Patrick doesn't care. He just cares about the drama. It's like they're not getting divorced. Also, they're going on a road trip. For the thirty third yeah. anniversary. Yeah. Oh, oh, San, San Diego. Segments. It's time for segments. Yay. Yes. Yay. <laughs> um, as usual, we will begin with my nitpick corner. I can nitpick anything to death, and man, did I have a lot of nitpicks on this movie. <laughs> I tried to pare them down. There are still a lot, so I will move through them quickly. The first one is that uh, I think the intro of this movie is cute. 
but I hate an intro that is all music and no dialogue. Okay. Not a fan. Okay. I don't like this rusty red hair color that they gave Beyonce. Mm. I thought that it was bad, and I thought it made her look washed out, and it was a bad wig, and there's not much else to say about that. Mm -hmm. I miss Idris Elba's facial hair. Yeah, he, that, that, that stood out to me too. Like, I don't think he's ever been this bald. He's very nope. smooth. Yeah. Very smooth. And I mean, he's still handsome, but I miss the facial hair. There's always something usually kind of rugged about him. And I think a lot of it comes from the five o'clock shadow, at least. But mm, he was not fair. there. Uh, this attic foreshadowing stuff is dumb. Mm. Because also... <laughs> <laughs> because who just goes up into a dirty attic for sexy time? It's not flirty and fun to go up in an attic and almost fall through the floor. <laughs> agreed i want to talk about this tacky ceiling mirror that's gonna go above their bed (laughs) sanchez i know you thought was fun i like but i personally feel like it was tacky in the very 80s and i couldn't believe the fact that she was like generally interested in having a tacky mirror above her bed but she didn't like this specific tacky one so i was like okay sure let's we can parse that way Mm -hmm. fiance wears lubus for moving day Not only is moving day apparently on a weekday during like the work week, but she is also going to lead the charge of moving day in high heeled Louboutins. That's a very okay. Good one. I was going to ask yeah. for the the, the non fashion conscious in the room. What oh, Louboutins, Louboutins, the red soled, very expensive shoes. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Um, yes, they are very, it's like, and they're usually like a formal shoe too. So I was just like, it was a very interesting choice. In yeah. general, I did not like her wardrobe. She's always the vest at the end. The vest is such a, it's so 2009. <laughs> I even remember a time where I was like, should I start wearing vests? Yeah. And then I did not. I did. Nice. It looked bad. I, my mom wouldn't let me. Um, so <laughs> there's that. Um, but in general, I didn't love her wardrobe. The vest look was very nice. Very <laughs> 2009. But she's always in heels while she's hanging out at home, which I don't even wear shoes in my house. I can't imagine wandering around my house in heels. There's only one time where she's like in bed, she's in comfy clothes, but mm. you know what? Her hair's never wrapped. Mm. And I, this is always an issue with me when it feels like when men are in charge of films, they have a specific way they think women go to bed or they want women to go to bed. And Beyonce is a black woman. Her mother's a hairstylist. I know she goes to bed every night with her hair wrapped. And she went to bed with the hair just out? No. No. <laughs> Once again, the nitpick no. corner steers into actual <laughs> cultural criticism. <laughs> yes. Um, I think I've talked about how the fact that Allie Lardner is wearing knee-length, like, pencil skirts that they try to make sexy a lot. She's always in very nice corporate wear. It's not sexy attire. It's just professional. She's got the legs. I guess so. <laughs> the legs the um, this is an actual plot hole, I think. When Marge comes back, and so there's a, so Lisa fills in for Patrick being sick, and then she fills in for Marge being sick. And this is how she continually makes it so that she can sit near Derek's um, desk. And it's implied that she's only in there, you know, she's only there to fill in for those people and then she's going to leave. But then Marge comes back and Lisa still works there. But where does she work? Who is she working for? What is she doing? We never know. Not going to lie. I was actually waiting for some sort of reveal or a twist where it turns out uh, Allie Larder was like getting people sick somehow. I thought that that's she was killing. I, yeah, that's what I thought too. Yeah. yeah. I was waiting for like, I was waiting to find out Marge dead. And that's mm. why, uh, and that's how Allie Lartner was going to be there the whole time. But no, she didn't even kill Marge. Mm. Uh, I mentioned Sally and the lap dances already. 
I already mentioned that there's no other black people in this story. Um, there's a moment in the fight where Beyonce is balancing on her back on the banister, and somehow the only reason she hasn't fallen over is because she has wrapped her legs around Allie Lardner. <laughs> <laughs> and she should have fallen, for sure. They should both have been dead, and oh. that would have been halfway through the fight. Yeah, also, she has some incredible upper body strength. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. There's a lot of, like, physics that weren't working there. Um... <laughs> And um, uh, so when Allie Lardner is crushed by the chandelier, it is positioned in a way that it isn't actually touching her body. So thus, she should not have been crushed by the chandelier and killed by it. <laughs> yeah, that never really made sense to me. Yeah, it's not like it impaled or anything. In fact, it is delicately laid over her in a way that it cannot hurt her. <laughs> yeah. And then finally, I don't like how this movie ended in a freeze frame. It made it seem like they cut. <laughs> it made it seem like they cut the ending and like for time or something, and it was dumb and it gave no conclusion to the movie. And I am now done with my nitpicks. Yes, Very all good. fair. Thank you for the unusually voluminous nitpick corner. <laughs> there were so many things. I was wondering if you were going to talk about the the hybrid sticker on the Cadillac. I didn't see it. I heard you. You were the one that told me that they were driving a Cadillac, and I missed it. <laughs> hybrid Cadillac. Yeah. No, I didn't see that. That's amazing. <laughs> okay, so now it is time for Sanchez's butthole and Kyle corner. This is not part of the butthole corner, but I just think it's so funny that the baby was named Kyle, and I know we've discussed this already, <laughs> and I will move on. I realize that there are babies named Kyle. I just think it's funny that this baby is named Kyle. Um, all right, so for the butthole corner, um, I actually asked Philip to pose a question this time around because he's not going to be here. I'm sorry, oh, who's Philip? Is, is that yeah. roommate boyfriend? Yeah, it's my roommate boyfriend. Um, so I have recorded... Also, I guess we, we know his name now. I mean, whatever. We've yeah. said it before. Um, okay, so I recorded him asking the question for your listening pleasure. Okay. What is the largest and or most dangerous animal that Beyonce could beat in a fight? <laughs> oh, man. I'll edit that in so you can actually hear it in okay. the recording. But. Cool. Um, oh, man. That is a good question. So are we talking Beyonce as a person or Beyonce's character in the film Obsessed? Beyonce's character in the film Obsessed. Because oh. she is very strong in She's this very movie. strong. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> she is surprisingly strong. Um... Man, I mean, I don't. She has that kind of like amazing back strength and balance, apparently. So I'm gonna go with like a bear. Ooh, oh, bear is cool. Sure. Yeah, that's. A... I mean, Allie Lardner, a very light woman, it seems like. So, yes. but I don't know. Like, she seems to have this amazing balance. She somehow does not fall over that banister after all, and she was almost able to lift Allie Lardner through that hole while barely managing to keep herself out mm -hmm. of it. So, sure, mm -hmm. let's go with something big like a bear. What kind of bear? I don't know, brown bear. A really big bear. Yeah, a big bear. <laughs> sure, why not? She's got that mama bear energy. You know, if a bear was threatening Kyle, she'd kill that bear. No, That's true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If a bear was trying to sleep with Idris Elba, she'd kill that bear. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go with a, with a black bear, because I like the theme of uh, talking about her bear energy, but I mm -hmm. think a grizzly bear is just, I don't mm -hmm. think any person can beat a grizzly bear. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, didn't Leonardo DiCaprio beat one? <laughs> Uh, Almost. So, yeah. <laughs> he survives. That counts. He lived. <laughs> he lived. Not many people live. Garth. I'm trying to think of something that's not a bear. 
Might I suggest the ocean? That might diff- help change course. Mm. Huh. Like, what if Beyonce fought a shark? Mm, interesting. <laughs> well, now I'm, I'm wondering if Beyonce's character is knowledgeable enough to, like, know what to do to survive a shark attack. Uh, it's like, you're supposed to, like, go for the eyes, right? Yeah, and punch the nose and or, stuff. Like, the gills, right? And you turn to, like, ah. I guess well, you now I want to see that. you fight a shark. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all know that wouldn't work out well for me. <laughs> Uh, you know what? Sure, we'll go with shark. Why not? Yeah. Uh, Solid. Like a medium-sized shark. I don't know my sharks well. A medium shark? Yes. Like a deep-sea like shark? A... Or like a <laughs> Caribbean shark? Like a bull there... shark? Like a bull shark? Yeah, let's go bull shark. Bull shark sure. is a big shark. That's yeah, one of the shark. biggest sharks. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I don't know. I was going to say, like, you might, yeah, hammerhead seems yeah, like ooh, a medium shark. I, yeah. I don't know if they're deep-sea. They might be. Thresher shark. Are we allowed to do fictional animals? Yellow no. tip okay. shark. There's something like that that exists. Blue tip shark. Yeah, this question was not designed for me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, think of your think of your favorite medium sized shark, and let's have Beyonce's character fight that shark. Okay. All right. Cool. Solid. Sanchez, what about you? I'm gonna go with a hippo. No, has anybody survived a hippo? Literally, one of the most dangerous animals on earth. Well, Beyonce, I have faith in her. She has a lot of strength. It's a high bar. Speed, right? She can do it. Not in the water. She could fight an above ground hippo. Okay. No way. I mean, I don't know. I want to see it. It's a bold choice, hippo. This has been uh, the butthole corner. It's been very good. Thank what you. What does that have to do with buttholes? <laughs> Nothing. That's, that's the question. point. All right, that's cool. sort of the point. Uh, to be that's... fair, all of these animals have buttholes. That's true. So. Mm. Sure. Mm. I'll explain to you why this well, is called the butthole corner. Like but yeah. like poop comes out of it, right? Wait, yeah. do sharks poop? Yes. Yes. Yes? yes. Does everything poop? <laughs> yeah, pretty much everything. <laughs> this is getting into a conversation that's too complicated for the butthole corner, I think. Okay, well we'll we'll table that for now. Uh she's asked many a uh, complicated question in the butthole corner, so I don't know if anything is too difficult for it, but maybe <laughs> for another time. I'll yeah, maybe for another butthole corner. Yes. Uh our next question is did Beyonce slay, as in did she give the best performance in the movie? I don't mm. think so. Mm. I think Ali Larder kind of stole the show. Mm. I think I would agree, unless it's Patrick. <laughs> I mean, Patrick as a character, I think, is, like, one of the best parts of the movie, but I think in terms of, like, acting performances, I'm going to give it to Ali. Ali Yeah, I, I gotta yeah. go Ali, too. Yeah. yeah. She definitely did. She oh, didn't man. bring the mama bear energy, but she brought everything else. Yeah. Yeah, yeah she did. All right, so next up, is... This X video better than single ladies. What did you bring to us today, Garth? Yes, hello. Um, so the last two weeks I've been unfair. I've been bringing in <laughs> like super mega budget, super elaborate political videos with Kendrick Lamar's All Right and uh, MIA's Bad Girls. Uh, but I promise to go simple this week. And this week I'm going with D'Angelo's Untitled. Oh man, hmm, a very interesting choice. I don't think I know that video. Oh man, really? Yeah. Oh, oh man. Where, where was your adolescence? I know, right? Mine was firmly entrenched in watching D'Angelo's video over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> it is basically a video. It's it's a very slow tracking shot of D'Angelo's well-oiled chest and rest of his body, and it starts with yeah. his face, and it slowly goes down. So, yeah. So and like... he is not wearing any pants. <laughs> 
And he's singing directly to you. Yeah, so like he's screen. he's standing like just in a black void. Yeah. Um, and like the shot very slowly goes, and it's like a it's a it's kind of a long song, and it's very slow, but it's also very like sexy, and it was like mm-hmm. the cliche like let's make a baby song that like okay you would use in media for a while. Okay. But, like it slowly comes back, and like what was shocking about the video at the time is that like. He was clearly like completely naked, and you can kind of like see the lines leading down. Ooh, you could see the lines. Ooh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> and it was like an often like a it was it was like a massive thing, um, mm-hmm. especially like listening to certain media personalities and other podcasts talk mm-hmm. about now. But just mm-hmm. like it, it was kind of like our first and kind of like oh my god, are they gonna show peen? Mm, okay, <laughs> interesting. And then they don't, but it's it's also like a great video, even if it. From what I understand, it gave D'Angelo a lot of body issues. Um, yeah. Interesting. It's it's so interesting what happened to his career after that. But I think that it also set, like, an interesting standard for, like, male beauty. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and it was very big. I think, I don't know, I think it, at the time he was probably a bigger in, like, the R&B sort of, like, black audience anyway. So maybe it didn't quite hit with pop I, mean, I remember much. seeing it on TRL. Oh, well, okay, oh, there you go. Interesting. Uh, or I could be pulling that out of my ass. I was, but well, you could have seen it on 106 in Park. I wasn't watching 106 in Park. Oh, at that, that time? Okay, yeah. got um, it. Never mind. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, like, he performed that song on, like, you know, big award shows and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, no, off his second album, Voodoo, which is an incredible mm-hmm. album. Mm-hmm. And then he proceeded to, like, not put out an album for 14 years. Right, yeah. yes. Uh, mm-hmm. Because he was... Who knows? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like, he's talked about like the, the video kind of like uh, objectified me mm-hmm. unintentionally mm-hmm. Uh, in a way that like, I don't know, like people just saw me as a sex. He's a brilliant musician mm-hmm. um, and, that, and like all three of his albums are incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But yeah, like re- regardless of kind of like the negative ramifications of the video, mm-hmm. like as far as like male sexuality in a particularly kind of misogynist mm-hmm. era for music videos it really stood out um okay so what do we think at least butler i don't think it's better no okay. i think single ladies is still a better music video but i i honestly think it's because like it's so weird i think of that music video more as not like an art piece per se but like I, I think for a music video for me, I need a little bit more going on. I need some dancing or something. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so much of it is just, it's very slow. And I think in some ways it makes me focus on the song more, which is kind of nice because sometimes you can get very distracted by other things in music videos, or at least I do. But I think because it's so different than other music videos that I've seen, I, I don't think about it the same way as I think about like single ladies. So I would consider single ladies better. G- gotcha. Music yeah. I, I mean, mm-hmm. like, the, the way he performs is a big part of it for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I get your, it might be a little too minimal for some, mm-hmm. even though, I don't know, mm-hmm. Sa- Sanchez, hypothetically, what do you think? Um, I think I'm still going to have to give it to Single Ladies. Okay. Henry, are you with them? I've only seen Single Ladies. Yep. So okay. By default. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so right. It's a robot hand. The robot hand's great. He it does not a have a robot hand. Yeah. Robot hand is very good. No. Yeah. He could pull off a robot hand. He has a very interesting uh, style. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he wore that, like, Zorro outfit when he did SNL yeah. 14 <laughs> years later. Well, I'm truly eclectic case, and I love it. He's always risking for things. 
Yes, uh, Brown Sugar, Voodoo, and Black Messiah. Go listen to those, because they are incredible. Yeah. Now we do the fun segment, the segment that rotates every episode. This week, we are saying, uh, if Beyonce could beat up any creepy dude, real or fictional, which one would you pick? Because in today's climate, it's a little gauche to pit women against each other. We don't do that. So, creepy dude. Mm -hmm. If you want, I can start. Yes, sir. I think mine is very timely. I think she should beat up Matt Gates. Oh, that's a very good, good one. one. Yeah. Very good one. Yeah. <laughs> very good choice. Very creepy and very someone. <laughs> yeah. Good choice. Yeah. Someone very uh, like he's owed a beating, basically. He he <laughs> in, definitely in is. the name of women. <laughs> yes. And if delivered by Beyonce, even better. Yes. Very powerful statement. Well deserved. <laughs> yes, Sanchez. How about you? Okay, I have to go back on my word because earlier I said I wasn't going to pick this person, but now I am. Um. <laughs> I'm going to go with the Lindbergh baby. (laughs) (laughs) Why? Because it would be funny for Beyonce to fight the Lindbergh baby. It would be pretty funny. But it's a baby. Also, is the Lindbergh Lindbergh baby creepy? Yes. How? Is it creepy because of the way it was disposed of? I mean, I think it's creepy all around. You just think babies in general? No, I think the Lindbergh baby knows what it did, and it's creepy. What? (laughs) Uh, this I'm is not so the spirit confused. in which I conceived of this question. I'm just so confused. Have, am I, have I missed something? Is there some sort of horror movie thing that I've missed? Baby got kidnapped. Just, just truly the actual Wait, do, do we not know? the actual baby that was kidnapped. Charles Lindbergh's actual baby. Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, it, it, it was kidnapped and then murdered. In a, yes, I know what happened to yeah, it. Okay. I'm trying to figure out how we ended up here, though. Uh, <laughs> baby got kidnapped. Beyonce fights a baby. I don't know how we got here, either, <laughs> frankly. Okay, so so far we have Matt Gates and the Lindbergh baby. Henry, how about you? I'm going to go with Jeffrey Epstein. Oh, good good That's also yeah. very good. Someone who deserves a good punch in the face. Yes. Unlike a baby. Unlike a baby. <laughs> Unlike a poor victim's baby. <laughs> Sanchez <laughs> causing pure chaos in the fun segment. Okay. <laughs> My choice, uh, compared to uh, Epstein or Gates, is uh, it, may, it may seem a little weak. Okay. And it's Ooh. also a little weird and a little random. Okay. Okay. Uh, my pick is specifically Johnny Depp's version of Willy Wonka. Huh. Okay. Intriguing. Sure. He, I, I I know that the, <laughs> the, the real pick is just Johnny Depp in general. Yeah, uh, and I know that like there are probably people who are more worthy of a beatdown <laughs> as far as like creepy dudes are concerned. Mm-hmm. But just fucking look at him. No, I know what you mean. Yeah. He's, he's creepy. He's, he's done some shit. He's creepy in a way that I don't want him around children. Yeah, I'm not yeah. comfortable seeing it. Like the older guy, I forget the name of the actor, but the older guy with the blonde hair, original Willy Wonka, seems adorable. Seems so like Wilder. someone. Gene yes, Wilder. Gene Wilder. I think I trust his Willy Wonka with children. Johnny Depp's no. I don't really trust old Willy Wonka with children, but more mm. because, like, I think he would be negligent and, like, harm would befall the children in his care. But Whereas, like, I feel like, you know, Johnny Depp's character kidnapped the Lindbergh baby. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I don't <laughs> think he's, I don't think that Gene Damn. Wilder is gonna, it's always like, the target. Baby with you. I don't think Gene Wilder is gonna target the children in a creepy SVU way. Whereas, I think I could see that coming from Johnny Depp's version. Yeah. Yeah. It's bad creepy. It's not, like, not weird creepy. It's bad. It's bad aura all around. Yeah. Mm. I see where you're coming from, Garth. Yes, yeah. thank you. Still confused about the baby. 
Sometimes you gotta fight a baby. Um, all right. Any concluding thoughts? Uh, we got we got a a Steven Seagal slam. Oh yeah, courtesy of Hubie, good boy, mm-hmm. my son. Yes, in, invented by Henry. Uh, we, we explained what Hubie is. Invented in the previous and burped episode. by Henry. Yes. Uh, according to Hubie, Steven Seagal is like the movie Ed Wood. He's bad, but not horrible enough to make him good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Interesting. No, I like this one because of the completely unnecessary slam of Ed Wood, which I, which, yeah. I, which I agree is an overrated movie. But um, I haven't seen it. Oh, I, I thought he was referring to the, the man Ed Wood. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, either way. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah. Thank you, Hubie, for once again. Yes. We will call upon you next week. Thank you, Hubie. Um, next time we're going to be uh, listening to Thor and watching Epic. Yep. Ooh. So um, you know, leave us a review. Leave us a rating. Maybe yes. both. Yes, that would be great. Although we do continue to be five stars on Apple Podcasts, so it would be great yeah. to get that going. Thank Whoa. you. Viewership Probably on Spotify is up, so we're looking to get reviews there from Ooh. you uh, listeners. On social media, we are at Pod. On Instagram, we're at Podcast, And on Facebook, we are But What If I Tried Acting? Also, go by Sorian on yeah. Steam. Woo! It's great. It's created by Henry and team. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a it's an amazing video game where you get to if I remember right, you were born as a dinosaur and you get to live the life of a dinosaur and it's an extremely accurate depiction of dinosaurs with feathers and stuff. Yeah, specifically the Hell Creek ecosystem of Montana sixty six million years ago. Very cool. Very we like cool. it. We like the feathers. Love it all. Yes. 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 Good stuff. Mm-hmm. Good job, Henry. Yes. And team. And team. And team. All right. Well, thank you, Garth and Butler. Of course, as always. Yes, thank yes. you, Sanchez. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Henry, for joining us. Yes, yeah, thank you, Henry. It's it was great. Thank you for having me. It was wonderful. So nice to have a guest to shake yeah. things up. Yes. Um, thank you, audience, and we will see you next week. Bye. 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 Yay! Yay! <laughs> <laughs> oh.